Um, I, I don't know if, if, if I would even call what I'm going to do here this morning a sermon. Uh, I'm just going to kind of share uh, my heart on something. I typically, at the beginning of every year, or towards the beginning of every year, do a state of the congregation address to kind of ask the question, as we always must be asking, uh, what are we called to do and how are we doing on it? And there'll be some of that here, but it's, it's a little different. I want to start it with uh, two passages that just sort of begin us down the track that I'm going to be going this morning. Uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It produces something, it, 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 something that lasts forever. It's not in vain, so therefore, give yourself fully to it. Be occupied with this. Be very intentional about this. And then in Philippians chapter 2, uh, Paul says to the Christians at Philippi, it is by your holding fast to the word of life, the thing that I've given you, the thing that I've preached, hold fast to that, and by your holding fast to that, uh, that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And so Paul is here saying, I, I want you to hang on, not just for your sake, but for my sake, because if, if you lose out with God, uh, then I've labored in vain. I haven't produced anything. And Paul is very concerned to take uh, some stuff from this world into eternity with him. He didn't want his labor to be in vain. So the question I want us to ask individually and the question I want us to ask collectively here this morning is, what are we doing individually and collectively that is not in vain? Uh, what are we producing that's the bottom line. Let's talk to God for a moment about this. Father, uh, it is by your wisdom, even though sometimes that wisdom is Im impervious to us, but by your wisdom you've decided to build your kingdom through human beings. Uh, I would have done it differently, but yeah, you're running the universe. And so, God, we're the vehicle by which you want to spread your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And, God, that, that gives our life tremendous significance and tremendous responsibility. And we thank you for it. And we pray, Lord God, that you'd use this talk. Uh, Lord, infuse it with your spirit and use it to shake us and to motivate us and to encourage us that our labor is not in vain. That our labor... Lord, use it to make us people who are more fully invested in labor. Help us to be real and honest with who we are and what we're called to do and what we're called to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So the question I want to ask here in this first message of the year is a kind of gutsy, raw, basic line question, one that we need to be asking, I think, on a regular basis. But the question is this. What are we doing here, honestly? What's real here? What, what are we doing here? Um, why did you come this morning? Why am I standing up here this morning? I, I, we, we put a premium uh, in this uh, body, we, uh, a premium on honesty. One of our core value statements is that, we, that, that how things really are is what's important, not how things appear. And uh, so we put a premium on, on being real and uh, honest and not being involved in performance or pretense. 
I feel a little bit of pressure sometimes around this time of year to do kind of a cheerleading thing. Uh, and I'm going to resist that pressure because I just want to get very real, very honest, and ask this gut-level question. I, I, I felt like the Lord was telling me this morning to just uh, put out my heart on the table there and tell people why I keep going, uh, why I keep doing what I do. I'm just supposed to share that with you. Uh, the first five, ten minutes of this might be a little scary to some of you because I'm going to be very honest. I promise you, I think we'll recover from it. Uh, but uh, I, I need to kind of get, get, uh, get, get all the, 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 the cards on the table, as it were. What are we doing here that's real? Now, what, what you need to know about me is this. I, I, with, I think a lot of people in this congregation uh, have an inbuilt natural reservation. I don't know if it's genes or upbringing or past experience, but a re- reservation about organized religion, as it's usually called. I don't like that term at all, but that's the term people use, organized religion. So you get a lot of people who opt out of organized religion, and a lot of people that are critical of organized religion, uh, you know, a lot of backseat drivers on organized religion. And I have, uh, there's a part of me at least that, that's pretty sympathetic with that. About 25, 27 years ago or so, I went through a church experience that was just absolutely nightmarish. Some of the ugliest stuff I've ever seen in my life was in this church, uh, one of my first pastoral experiences. And, and I made this deal with God. I said, God, I know that your word commands us to fellowship together. And out of, out of respect for you, I'm going to continue to obey that command. But I want you to know that I don't like it. <laughs> Don't like it at all. I, 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 I could get by very well without this, but because you commanded, I'm going to do it. And, and, and the, the irony is, God's sense of humor is that I find myself 27 years later being the senior pastor of a church. But I'm telling you here, I, I at that point, uh, didn't like church very much at all. And to be honest with you, there's still aspects of it that I don't like. Uh, I honestly... And a lot of people don't believe this, but I can, I, I, I can give you the test scores. On a Myers-Briggs, I come out as an introvert. I, I, I'm an introvert that I guess knows how to fake it. I, I act like an extrovert. I, when I'm around people, I, I'm happy. I, I, I'm out there in whatever. But, but uh, truth be told, I'm much more at home with a book. Uh, you know, I, an extrovert, a true extrovert, couldn't spend as much time in books as I do. I, 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 I like that. And I have a natural... Um, a reservation about big things, about large groups. I've never really felt comfortable in them. Large groups of people, I, I kind of mistrust it. Uh, you know, big events where there's a lot of emotion going on. I, man, I got all my, 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 my buzzers up. It feels campy to me. I, I, I don't trust it. It feels manipulative. I have this fear of personality cults where everyone's kind of gravitating around somebody who's got a new insight or whatever. I just really have a lot of reservations about that. When, when we first started the church, and this is going to be a little autobiographical here, I had an ongoing uh, nightmare I wake up in a cold sweat on this one. It happened about once a month at the beginning of the church. Uh, and I, it's, it's tapered off over the years, and I don't think I've had it for a couple of years now. But, but uh, uh, here's the nightmare. It was some version of this. Uh, the worship's going on in the church service, whether it was Norm leading or before Norm got here with some, somebody else, but it was just falling flat. I mean, it was just not happening. People were just looking at, you know, and, and kind of complaining about the music, and the musicians were getting flustered, and they weren't hitting the notes, and things were really going bad. 
And I was getting mad because people weren't worshiping, even though I agreed the music was pretty bad, but that shouldn't be a reason not to worship. And I was getting mad that, that, that there's this obstacle here. And then I got up to preach, and I, I was flustered by the worship, so I, I ha- but I had to try to like work through it because it's really not a good thing to preach when you're all mad and angry. Uh, and so I was trying to work through it, but I, I wasn't able to do it, and I was getting my, flustered myself, and the words weren't coming out right, and, and the, the sermon was just falling flat. It was just a, a clinker, if ever there was one. And finally, in some versions of this nightmare, I just said, okay, listen, let's call it off. This isn't working this morning. Uh, maybe we'll do better next week. You know, and I, and I just ended the service. Now, that wasn't the bad part. I was okay with that. The bad part was that the next week, and sometimes I actually would go to this next week's service, or sometimes I just kind of knew at the end of this uh, service in the nightmare, but no one or hardly anybody came back. And then there was a word that I either just knew or someone said, it, it depended on the version of the nightmare I had, that said, well, you know, you're only as good as your last show. And there's a new show in town, I suppose, and so it's moved on. The nightmare was not that the church was empty. The nightmare was what it said about what we'd been doing up to that point. Is that what this has been? Just a, a little religious carnival? Uh, you know, reminded me of the sayings that Jesus gave a number of times, you know, to the large crowds when he was on, his, on the high point of his popularity. What'd you come out to see? A reed shaking in the wind? A person dressed in fine clothing? Hey, want a little, little miracle? You know, come out to see a religious show? Uh, what did you come out to see? And there has been, um, some of my close friends who know about this uh, paranoia in my life, they call it kind of a carnival paranoia. This fear of, of a religious carnival. Because that is in vain. That is a useless thing. It is a useless thing. I, I read a, uh, an article in a leadership magazine uh, several years ago now. Uh, that, was, uh, that it had done some research, one of these Barna research things about how people choose church. And it was being shared in this leadership magazine because it was saying, well, you got to know how people choose church so you can kind of cater to those needs. You know, here's what people are looking for, and if you're going to compete, this is what you've got to crank out. And uh, what grieved me was that uh, of the top ten reasons that people gave for how they, how they choose church, uh, only one of them was remotely kingdom so far as I could see. People wanted to be spiritually fed. That was a good thing. Uh, but, but for the most part, it was things like, uh, you know, do they, do they find this to be entertaining? Do they, do they, uh, is there nice parking space? Is, is it air-conditioned? Are the pews nice? And, and things of that sort. And I don't want to cater to that. I, I, th- that bugs me. The reality is, and if you get nothing else out of this kind of personal gut sharing that I'm doing here this morning, get this. From a kingdom perspective... There's one and only one reason why we should ever bother to get together. Why have church? Why why go through the hassle of that? And that reason is because we can do more together than we can do individually. It's not about what we can get out of it. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Uh, We're here to consolidate our resources and our energy and our labor because in the end, the only thing that is meaningful about our short existence is the difference we made in the world. And God has set it up so that we make more of a difference when we do it together than when we do it individually. And that's the only reason why, why, uh, why, why we have church at all. The, the, it's good to be spiritually fed and it's good to be moved by the worship and things like that. 
but only insofar as it makes you a better laborer. The bottom line is always the laborer. Are you laboring in vain or are you laboring effectively? And that's why church uh, exists at all. But in the American consumer, materialistic, self-centered, narcissistic mindset, I'm afraid it's not usually like that. It's what's in it for me is, is more the bottom line. And I have a paranoia about that, about religious carnivals that just attract that and, and feed into that. Okay, so that's kind of a buzzer I have. On top of that, still sharing kind of from the gut here. Well, when you get a, a larger church, you have bureaucracy. You've got to have bureaucracy. You've got to have policies and, and rules for decision making. And uh, I, by nature, don't like that. I'm not a, by nature, a patient person. I, I like to, you know, just follow the spirit. Okay, today we're going to do this. And now today we're going to do this. You know, and I, I, I like to turn a speedboat on a dime. But what we got here is a Titanic. And Titanics, as you know from history, don't change very fast at all. And I understand this because, you know, you have to have a protocol. You have to have, you know, bring people on board with stuff. That's just part of what goes with it. But, but uh, uh, it can be frustrating. I mean, for example, just to give one example, we have literally hundreds and hundreds of requests from various ministries inside and outside the church to have a little bit of time up front in this pulpit in order to let people know about their wonderful ministry and to raise funds for their wonderful ministry and to develop prayer partners for their wonderful ministry. We could easily, starting next week, have the entire service, an hour and a half, of nothing but advertisements for ministries. It, 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 no problem whatsoever. Got, got a waiting list like you wouldn't believe. But of course we can't do that. That wouldn't be effective for the kingdom. It would make us better laborers. These ministries are almost all good ones. They're, they're good people. They are sincere. They just would, would like to have it, take advantage of this large gathering in order to get their, their needs out there. But we can't do that, which means that you've got to have some policies in place about who you let in and who you don't let in. You've got to say no to some really, you know, good ministries. You have to have policies about what they can say, what they can't say, how much fundraiser you're going to do, how explicit they can be, how much, uh, you know, pressure they're going to put on people, and all those sorts of things. You definitely need that sort of thing uh, in place, and yet it bothers me. And so you've got to ask the question, is it worth the hassle? You know, the, the carnival paranoia, the bureaucracy. On top of that, anybody... Anytime you've got to deal with large masses of people, you're going to deal with a lot of frustration. Masses of people can be frustrating. Uh, individuals can be difficult. Um, on top of that, the 20-80 rule almost always applies in every, every large group I've ever known. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And most pastors would tell you that they think that's pretty optimistic. It's more like a 10-90 rule. Uh, and, and, and that gets frustrating. When I uh, report statistics that I, I gave last week about, about the evangelical world and how uh, it differs very little from, from, from the world in and of itself uh, in terms of how we think, in terms of how we behave, and how we spend our money and our sexual activity, when you see there's very little difference there, uh, it, it's, it's easy for me, since my, my Achilles heel has always been kind of this paranoid cynicism anyways, for the devil to jump on that, and as I'm driving home after a sermon, to start whispering in my ear, what did you really do? You're laboring in vain. You think that makes any kind of a difference? No, no, no. You entertained them for 20 minutes, and that was it, you know, and it doesn't really make a difference, and man, those are some of my, my lowest moments. I, I, I can bottom out easily on that one. On top of that, 
realize that there's always far more needs than there are resources to meet the needs. And, and when you face that on a daily basis, it can be very difficult. You got to say no to some people that are really in need, people who really need houses, people who really need some food, you know, uh, uh, things you see that, that, that need to be done in the body of Christ. So many opportunities that you just got to bypass because you don't have the resources. Man, that, that can get very irritating. And the final thing is I'm pouring out my gut here. Uh, is, is uh, this was the most surprising one to me, but it was uh, in some ways the most painful one as well. Uh, and it's, it's dealing with some, some, not all, thank God, but a lot of churches and pastors. Uh, it, it can make you cynical, especially if you're inclined to be cynical anyways. Uh, you know, it, you, you see how much we could accomplish if we would just stop wasting resources by double shoveling and just consolidate our resources and let's work together. And, and, and when, when, the minute you start exploring that, you bump up against a religious wall that is as ugly as any religious wall ever is, a sort of territorialism, a sort of suspicious uh, mindset, like, oh, you're trying to steal my sheep, uh, this protectionism uh, uh, and, and an unwillingness to, everyone's building their own little kingdom and so instead of acting like a team, we're acting like we're in competition with each with, with with each other. And you just go, yick, yick, yick. Uh, and so you ask the question, what are we doing with this organized religion thing? I mean, wouldn't it uh, you know, be better just to kind of go our own way, have a little tiny, maybe a, your little small group and, and change the world that way? And a lot of people do that. Now, what I want to share with you is simply what keeps me going, why I stay invested in it. Not just tolerably, but I'm excited about it. Despite the headaches, despite the frustration, despite my own uh, natural proclivity towards uh, paranoia and cynicism. <laughs> what keeps me going? I'm just going to share a couple of testimonies about why I believe that our labor is not in vain, that it is, in fact, worth it. Just several testimonies here. Here's one. Here's a letter from a person uh, I, I, I get letters like this quite a bit. Uh, here's just one of them. Got this several months ago. The person says, I just want to thank you for your ministry and for the ministry of Woodland Hills Church. I've never been much of a churchgoer. I guess it's because when I was growing up, church always seemed so boring and no one in, in my church really seemed to like each other very much. <laughs> I stopped going when I was a teenager about seven years ago. I came to Woodland Hills Church because a friend I work with and admire a lot invited me. I don't know why, but I found myself crying during the Mass and during your talk. <laughs> you, can always, you can always tell Catholics, they refer to me as Father Boyd. <clears throat> Bless you, my child. I've never seen God as beautiful before or even really real. To my, uh, to my surprise, I found myself raising my hand at the end of the Mass I don't, even, I don't even remember deciding to do it. It just happened. But I haven't been the same since. I used to have a pretty low self-esteem, but now every morning I remind myself how loved I am by Jesus, like you're always telling us, and I go th uh, throughout the day full of joy. I still get down once in a while, but most of the time I'm smiling and I'm not trying to. <laughs> I'm just happy. My friends think I'm kind of weird. But I don't care. I just thought you should know. The church brought Christ into my life. And like that song we always sing says, I will never be the same. It's worth it. Amen. Amen. 
You say, well, what's true is this. What keeps me going is, it, it, it's not the big things. It's, it's the individuals I can picture in my mind. I don't know what this person looks like, but I can picture a face. And, and it's knowing that we together have made an eternal difference. A difference now and a, di- a difference in eternity. Uh, that, th- that keeps me going. Uh, the labor is not in vain. Okay, we're doing something here. We're changing the world. And everybody who has labored uh, for this ministry... Uh, shares, should share in the satisfaction of knowing that they contributed to this young lady's transformation in her life. The reward for that comes back on everybody who's been part of this body. It wasn't an individual thing, it was the body thing. And now think of this young lady and ask, is it worth it? For all the headaches, for all of the other stuff you got to put up with perhaps, uh, is it worth it? And the reality is this, if this was all we had to show for 11 years of ministry, it would still be worth it. In fact, it would be a million times over worth it. Amen. But now consider, multiply this testimony several hundred times each year. And now ask the question, is it worth it? Would I individually be having this impact? No. Would you individually be having this impact? No. But together, when we uh, consolidate our resources, when we consolidate our prayer, when we consolidate our labor, when we consolidate our volunteer activity, when we work together as a body, uh, lives are changed in this way, and it is, in fact, uh, a million times over worth it. Here's another testimony. This comes out of a small group. Part of what we do together is, is uh, we set people, uh, we, we consolidate our resources to set people aside, uh, like, like, like Kevin Johnson, who uh, can oversee uh, small groups and, and develop coaches and leaders to run these small groups. Here's the testimony of one of these small groups. You, you see, and the thing is, you need to know this just to feel a satisfaction. If, if you are a laborer in this laboring ministry, you need, you need, we need to do a better job of letting you know about this just to be encouraged by it, that it's making a difference. Here's a small group. They give, uh, send Kevin a report of what they did last year. And here's some of the things they did. They did some prayer walks around the U of M campus with navigators, uh, with the navigators group. They helped with the youth program at People Serving People Shelter. They stuffed meal packets at Feed My Starving Children. They, volu- they volunteered at uh, Operation Christmas Child Distribution Center. They served breakfast for Spanish pastors at the International Student Fellowship. They provided meals and Valentine flowers for mothers at Harriet Tubman Abused Women's Shelter. And they served dinner for International Student Alpha courses at, at, at the U of M. <laughs> That's not a bad year. A, a small group having that kind of a ministry. And see, what they do is an extension of what we do. And, and we have uh, the, the, the consolidation of our labor is part of what let, let that happen. The world's a little bit of a different place because this small group has taken their, their idea of ministry seriously. One of the things that we're doing now is Really, what we found that groups that have a ministry that are, are about a task, that own uh, ministry opportunities, uh, tend to grow together and stay together and multiply much better than groups that just sit around and, 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 and study the Bible. Now, studying the Bible is a very good thing and worship is a very good thing, but it's, it, it, the purpose of all that is to be doing stuff. And so what we're doing is consolidating much more of the ministry objectives of our church with our, with our small groups uh, so that uh, most of the ministries we do will be done through small groups and all the small groups will be having a ministry. But what you need to see here is this, just this one group. Uh, There are people that know each other who otherwise wouldn't know each other, and people that are involved in ministry who otherwise wouldn't be involved in ministry, and lives that are being touched who otherwise wouldn't be be touched because of all small group ministry. And it's, it's the consolidation, it's our being together for all of the headaches that it might cause, for all the hassles it might cause, for all the things you might have to put up with, including getting up at on Sunday morning when you'd rather stay in bed. But the result of it is this, 
lives are changed. And we've got, we've got now over 120 small groups. I think something like 1,400 people involved in small groups. And we're just getting warmed up because our goal is to have everybody plugged into a small group and plugged into that kind of ministry. It, is it worth it? You bet it's worth it. A million times over, it is worth it. Praise God. Third testimony, a person uh, came uh, to me. Uh, this is, I guess, again, several months ago. All kinds of bleeds together. But, but he, he gave me this kind of testimony. He just wanted to let, let, let me know what, what, what this church is, is doing for him. Uh, this was a man who had been a Christian for about 10 years, but the 10 years have not been victorious walking in Christ because he uh, has stayed addicted to pornography and has not been faithful in sexuality. He kept on lapsing back into that. And the result was that he led a very defeated life, sometimes giving up on the thing altogether. Uh, but even when he was invested in, in, in going to the church, he felt defeated, he felt dirty, he felt unholy, uh, couldn't be used of God, just not walking in the victorious Christian life, always knowing what's wrong, but seeming not to have the power to do anything about it. Uh, he began to come uh, to Woodland Hills Church, I guess, as I understand, several months before this happened, but he joined our, our men's pure desire group. And his testimony was this, he goes, you know, for the, first, for the last two months, it's been two months now, uh, it's been the first two months in the last decade where I haven't gotten on a porn site, been the first two months in a decade where I haven't uh, been sexually active with somebody, and man, does it feel good. Man, does it feel, I feel like a chain has, has been broken, a bondage has, has fallen off me. Uh, it feels so good to be walking in right relationship with my Savior in Jesus Christ. He says, but you know what else? Uh, everything else about my life has changed too. It's like it changed this. You change everything. And, and it, the whole thing's taken on a, a deeper quality. I got people who love me and care about me and ask about me and hold me accountable. And it's not a judgment thing. It's just an encouragement thing. And man, I'm being set free. You see, we together do that. You individually probably wouldn't have that group. And I individually wouldn't have that group. But we together have that group. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. People being set free. And now realize, as you saw this morning, that we've got 12 support groups just like that. Uh, for people dealing with grief, loss of loved ones, people dealing with, with eating disorders, people you know, recovering from divorce, people with all sorts of, of different kinds of issues. Uh, and the reality is this. Because we're an organized religion, we're not always that organized and we're not religious, but that's the term that's used. Organized Because of that, you see, uh, there are people, there are marriages being saved that otherwise wouldn't be saved, praise God. There are people being set free that otherwise wouldn't be, be set free. There are people getting freed from sexual addiction who otherwise would stay in sexual addiction. There are people getting off of drugs who otherwise wouldn't be getting off of drugs. There are people who are walking in relationship who otherwise would be doing a lone ranger kind of thing. There are people who'd be uh, living out their life indicted for the abortion that they had or because of the divorce that they had or because of some other wrong that they've done, which because of these support groups now are being set free. They're defining that new life in Christ. They're losing the labels that they brought in here, you see. That cloak of darkness around them has fallen off, and they're discovering their identity in Jesus Christ. And we ought to feel good about that. Everybody who's, who's labored in prayer, labored financially, labored with time to make this happen, you know, it, it all comes back on you. And drink of that. Feel good about that. Paul did. I'm not laboring in vain. No, it's accomplishing. It's accomplishing much. Here's a fourth testimony. Last year, we uh, received uh, over a million dollars in the Scrolling in the Spirit campaign. And uh, we, we've raised now over four million. Now, now, one of the things that that is going to accomplish is in, in three months, we're going to start 
building our youth center. Praise God. And starting in April, we're going to start phase one of our youth center. That'll be about a 10,000 square foot uh, building. It's not the full thing that we're, we're shooting for, but it's phase one of this. And just having that is going to be a tool, a useful tool for ministry. Our kids will have a place they can call their own and, and uh, uh, that will consolidate the group. But it's also a place where other kids can drop in after school. We're going to have some tutoring going on there. It'll be an opportunity to build relationships. Now, now, now ask yourself this question. If there's one kid on the street who will come into a relationship with, with, with one uh, uh, discipling kid, and as a result of that, come to know Jesus Christ, will it be worth the $500,000 that it's costing us to build that? Oh, you better believe it will. You better believe it will. If there's a, a one kid reached who otherwise wouldn't be reached, it's been worth it a million times, a trillion times over. But you gotta, you, you, you've got to multiply that now over the years and ask the question, how many kids are in fact going to come to know the Lord uh, and going to be set free because of this? And now it won't be long. Everything takes time. It does. It far, the world turns far slower than, than I would like it to. But, but in three, maybe four years, we will have that youth center in full built. It's called The Connection. It'll be a 45,000 square foot building. It's going to cost $4 million. Man, churches are always asking for money, aren't they? That's going to cost $4 million. Do we really need that? Well, you think about this here. It's a place which, among other things, kids around the Twin Cities are going to be hanging out on Friday and maybe on Saturday nights. And they're going to come and, and they'll be, uh, they're coming on their terms, not on our terms. We're not saying change first and we'll embrace you. We'll say, uh, come as you are and we'll embrace you. And we're giving them a giant bear hug and they don't even know it. They're coming just to have fun. But we got the music playing. We got the dances going. We got a skate park, skating park going on. We got a pickup basketball game going on. We got pool. We got arcades. Uh, you know, and we also have counseling rooms all all over the place. And you got to see this gathering coming together. Man, they're coming from every walk of life, and they're going to look strange to a lot of us here who aren't used to seeing this. But it gives us the opportunity just to rub shoulders with them. That's what it's all about. It's bringing the, 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 the two parties together. And as a result of that, think of the hundreds and thousands of kids we get to impact that we never would never otherwise give us the time of day. Think of the hundreds and the thousands of kids who are going to get counseling, counseling who otherwise wouldn't get counseling. Uh, the hundreds and thousands who will come to know Jesus Christ, come to be set free, who otherwise wouldn't be set free. We're, with, with these counselors available here, there'd be, I, I just picture in my mind the, the, the pregnant teenager who is, who is just scared and, and is a day away from having an abortion. But here's a sign that says, are you pregnant and scared? I'll talk to you without judging you. And they come in and they just get some advice. And because of that, someone willing to walk with them, they don't have that abortion and they don't go the rest of their life being scarred because of it. No, they, 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 they bring a child into the world, maybe put that child up for adoption, become a believer and begin to walk with Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's turning would-be catastrophes into victories for Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to do it. Is it worth it? You bet it's worth it. It's not even a close call. You see, And it happens because we're laboring together. We're focused laboring together. We're not just laboring lone rangers. We're laboring together. And there's an exponential increase in what we can do together that we can't do individually. One of the things we've already done in this Growing in the Spirit campaign is, is raised $165,000 for Cambodia. Uh, Wynne Tranberg, uh, this uh, young lady who is a doctor, 
uh, is, is over there. She left our congregation, gave up a lucrative career in medicine to go and labor among Vietnamese refugees in Cambodia. These are refugees who don't have any access to any resources over there. There's tremendous racism on the part of the Cambodians against them. Uh, they are the riffraff. Uh, and she spends her days going up and down the Cambodian River uh, doing whatever she can do with whatever supplies she's got uh, to minister to these impoverished villages. These people live in shacks, little shanties, makeshift buildings that the government periodically just, just burns to the ground because they want to relocate the riffraff. Uh, and it's, 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 they're living in desperate uh, uh, conditions. And so we raised $165,000 to just provide Wynn with, with some buildings, with a clinic, uh, with some supplies that she, so she can more effectively uh, minister to these people. She's a five foot, I think she's around five foot, maybe 4'11", maybe 100 pounds. She's just so petite, but this, and very quiet, and yet she's started a couple congregations over there. Uh, she's one of my heroes. I just, I just love this woman. And we're, 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 I'm going with uh, the Cambodian missions team at the end of January just to kind of go and give encouragement and see how it's going. One of the problems, I just read about this last week, one of the problems they have, one of the main problems is that a lot of the young ladies are dying of AIDS over there. And the reason they're dying of AIDS, AIDS is, is absolutely at an epidemic proportion over there. And one of the reasons these young ladies are dying is because a, a, a large percentage of them are sold into sexual slavery, into prostitution, uh, starting from about the age of 12. And, the, and that happens for a variety of reasons, but one of them is that everyone's starving to death, and this is one way to make money. Uh, but the trouble is, these young girls, you're almost condemning them to death. Uh, this is Chup Lee. This is a picture of Chup Lee. She was in this article that I read uh, that was on Win Tranberg uh, on, on her uh, clinic. I just read it last week. Uh, she, th this young lady was sold into sexual slavery when she was 16. She contracted AIDS about two years later. They don't have any medicine to even slow down the spread of AIDS there. And so uh, here she is. She's 20 years old. And, uh, and she is uh, very close to dying. In fact, she died several weeks after this picture was taken uh, and before it was published in this magazine. But here's the thing. Uh, several weeks before she came to know the Lord, she came in contact with this clinic, and uh, she, she, she was introduced to Jesus Christ. She accepted Jesus Christ, coming out of a Buddhist background, accepted Jesus Christ. And the article reports about how she died with, uh, with, first of all, with some medication at least to ease the pain, but also died knowing Jesus Christ. And she had a joy to her. This is shortly after her conversion. Now, here's the thing. Uh, would $165,000 be worth one person coming to know Jesus over there who otherwise wouldn't come to know Jesus? And that's not even a close call. But the, result, the, the, the reality is this. If there's one person who knows Christ who otherwise wouldn't know Christ, it's been more than worth it. And it happened. Uh, you wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done this. But together we do this. You see, we, we labor together. Um, if there's one, one kid who doesn't get AIDS who otherwise would get AIDS, and, and uh, one kid who gets off the street who otherwise would stay on the street, uh, it's been a million times worth it. But the reality is this. That because of this small little piece of money, uh, it's just a tool that, 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 that we're given to win. But because of that, uh, the world would be different. Uh, the people will be changed. Hundreds and thousands of people will get medical attention who otherwise wouldn't get medical attention. Hundreds and thousands will come to know Christ who otherwise wouldn't come to know Christ. And why does it happen? It's because we labor together and we do not labor in vain. Praise God. We make it happen. And all who have been part of this, all who have sacrificed for this, it's not anything about amount, it's about the sacrifice. It comes back on you. It comes back on you. You ought to feel good about this. This, this. this young girl knows Jesus partly because of you. And, and uh, it comes back on you. A final thing I'll just share is this. 
Um, there's a lot of other areas we could go into. We have counseling center, changing lives left and right. Man, some of the testimonies coming out of our counseling center are, are, just, are, are just tremendous. And it's because we're consolidating our resources. Even things like our, our radio station. We have a radio station, 980 uh, AM radio. Uh, we, we're on the radio at, at, at 1230, uh, 980. I, I, I never thought much would come of this one, actually. Uh, I never listened to AM radio. I certainly never listened to talk radio. Certainly never listened to Christian talk radio. Uh, but apparently a lot of people do. <laughs> and so we're on the radio there, and we're getting these letters in of, of how it's impacting people's lives. In fact, a lot of people are coming to church here because they heard about it on the, on, the, on the radio station. Those little things, I mean, that's all happening because we're in this together. But the final thing I want to share is, has to do with, uh, uh, I think we just developed this last year. Uh, we have a course uh, on racial reconciliation. We're running a pilot of this course starting next month, uh, and then we'll, we'll open it up for everybody uh, in the church starting in the fall. It's a course that is just designed to instruct us, equip us for urban ministry because God's called us to be a bridge between the suburbs and the city and between denominations and between races. So it's a course on racial reconciliation and urban ministry. And I'll have all these volunteer uh, guest speakers that will be coming in and talking to our people. Uh, uh, Dwayne Polk, Tyler DeArmond have, have constructed this course, and it, it's going to be something that's very useful in helping us really open our eyes to the reality of, of what goes on in a racialized society and what God would have us to do about it. Now, uh, a part of this course, it'll be 10, 10 weeks in-house in, in and then 10 weeks out-house. <laughs> 10 weeks where we're going to be plugged into other ministries. Uh, every student will spend 10 weeks ministering in a, to, in a non-white inner-city church because the experience is everything. And uh, so we've been meeting with pastors, inner city pastors, uh, developing a relationship saying, can, can we at the end of this course have these people come and just learn under you, help you, serve you in any way you can? Now, immediately there's some uh, walls of suspicion where people worry about, um, you know, I, I, is this just one of those things where your white folks are going to come in here and spend a week and, and feel good about yourself and then go back and we'll never hear from you again? Because we really don't need that anymore to be a little token guilt release. Uh, no, no, please, not that. And what we're telling them is, no, this is a long-term thing. Uh, we want to have a continual, ongoing working relationship where we serve you, you teach us. It's a mutual thing. Some of them have just been blown away by this, you know, uh, and, and have said things like this. Well, how about if, if uh, then you teach us some things? I hear that you've got a good children's program or a good youth program. Can we send our staff over to where you're at and, 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 and uh, you know, get some tips? Uh, from you guys. And we're like, absolutely. And see, this is the, this is the body of Christ. It's bridge building. You see, it's, it's, uh, uh, we're supposed to be learning from one another, uh, experiencing life together, teaching one another, and that's beginning to happen. In fact, let me say this. It's one of the things I'm most excited about. I got to wrap this thing up, but man, this thing, th th this one is huge. Um, this isn't going to happen quickly. No, it's not, it won't happen by next month and it won't happen by the end of next year. Uh, but, but I'm thankful for any inch progress that we're making. But here's something that's happening. Uh, there, God is, is, especially I'm seeing this in large white suburban churches, in a few of them anyways. Uh, there, there's a, there, there's a, a light that is going on about our responsibility to network with city ministries and uh, to tear down racial walls and to do something about poverty uh, on a citywide level. 
Um, and, and we're starting to talk to one another. See, this is a new thing. I, you know, God laid on us this, uh, several years ago this, this call to be a bridge, and we're just kind of really seeing the full ramifications of this, where we're not just the bridge, but we're to be a bridge builder. We're to be a bridge catalyst, a catalyst for get, getting the, the, the church as a whole thinking as a bridge. And, and the reality is this. Listen, uh, tonight there's going to be 6,000 people that will be staying in shelters in the metro area. Uh, today there are uh, thousands of families that don't have enough money to, to give their kids adequate clothing. Uh, they don't have adequate food. They can't buy their kids uh, any kind of uh, school supplies. They can't afford insurance. They don't have access to, to medical supplies. There are thousands of families in this situation. Uh, this is something that the church is called to do something about, something that the church can do something about. For too long, we've looked to Uncle Sam to take care of these problems. This is a church problem. This is a kingdom problem. The glory is supposed to go to Jesus Christ, not Uncle Sam. And see, Uncle Sam is running a little dry these days. Have you noticed that? You know, the, the funds aren't there like they used to be, and that's not a bad thing, really. Uh, not if the church will seize the opportunity and stand up and, and do something about it. We have the resources uh, to, to meet these needs. We, we do. The trouble is we're not talking to each other. We're not sharing the resources. Everyone's trying to do it on their own if they're even thinking about it. Uh, and, and that's not the way it gets done. What needs to happen, and, and th this is uh, with Open Door and with, with, with Woodland Hills and with uh, Evang uh, Crystal Free Evangelical Church and others, uh, there's this growing mindset that we need to be networked together, sharing resources, tearing down walls of provincialism, and begin to work together where we develop a network. Uh, you know, there, are, there, are, there are in the Twin Cities right now, I'm sure, a thousand uh, mechanics who love to work on cars and who uh, would be willing to donate five hours a week as a ministry. This is their ministry. But then the mechanics don't know each other. Well, we need to get them to know each other. Let's get a Christian Mechanics Guild. And then there are plenty of people out there whose cars are broken down, and that's why they can't go to work, you know, because and it has ramifications for the family. Take the people who have the broken down cars, get them in contact with the people who fix the cars, and now the kingdom of God has taken place. You see, the kingdom of God has taken place. It doesn't have to be a Woodland Hills thing. It just has to be a kingdom thing. There are plenty of people who need furniture. There are plenty of people who want to give away furniture. We just got to get them together. There are plenty of people who need food. There's plenty of people who got food. We just got to get them together. And, and, and you see, but it's not Woodland Hills doing the whole thing. It's rather the church of Jesus Christ in the Twin Cities doing the whole thing. Now, that, that, that's going to take a lot of time, a lot of work. It's going to be a lot of organization, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of headaches, and a lot of frustration. But it's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. It's worth it. The labor is not in vain. The labor is not in vain. I, I ask people who don't believe in organized religion, you know, and that bless them. Do, do what you can for the kingdom. You're out there on your own. But uh, are you helping Chupli? Do you have a Chupli in your life? Are, are, you, are you building the kingdom citywide? Are, I, you know, I, I'm not going to judge that. I'm just saying it seems to me that the reason why God calls us to gather together is because we can do something to change the world. And what we do is build the kingdom. Can't do it individually, but we can do it together. We just stand. Amen. I just want to, I'm going to close in a little prayer. Uh, if you're here this morning, and I, I, I want you to take this with you. The question is this. Uh, you asked Paul's question, are you laboring in vain? Are you laboring at all, let alone fully laboring? And what are you producing? If, if this isn't a congregation you're called to, I'm so okay with that. But I, I encourage you to find a congregation that you believe in and are willing to sacrifice for. 
because we do it together, you see. You need to be part of a vision that, that, you can, that you can genuinely sacrifice your time, your money, your prayer to be a part of, to see that vision carried out. What are you doing for the kingdom? Just walk with that. And this year, our goal is to have done more this year than we did the year before and than the year before that. Where are you with that? If you're here this morning and you want to spend some time in prayer, our prayer team will come forward. I'd ask you to come forward right now, the prayer team. If you're here this morning and you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you know who you are. I encourage you uh, not to leave in that situation. Over to my right, uh, your left, uh, up here at the front, there's a table with some people who would just love to explain to you what that's about, how to get started in becoming a laborer for Jesus Christ. So Heavenly Fathers, we go out of here and face this new year. We pray, God, that you would make us fully devoted laborers, co-laborers of yours, laborers for the kingdom of God. I pray, God, that, we, that we'd walk out of here encouraged all who have and are continuing to sacrifice to see this vision come to pass. I pray, God, that there'd be a sense of satisfaction because they had a role to play in all of this. And Lord, at the same time, uh, with that satisfaction, motivate us to go further. Motivate us to do more. Motivate us, Lord God, to do whatever is necessary to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that, in the end, is the bottom line. That is the bottom line. Thank you, God, for making this your co-laborers, for giving us this call, for giving us this joy, for giving us this responsibility. We accept